it is really, really good to be here. As I said in the the morning session, um, truly, when I can be here, it's really um, like being with family, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And actually, it worked out fine with the technical difficulties because, as it happens, I just had this idea the other day: what if for the the second service, I just go old school and don't use a PowerPoint? So I was prepared for that. So I didn't need to use the PowerPoint. Uh, for this one, and uh, you know, it'll all be fine. Now, I used my tired old joke this morning that you know, even Spurgeon hated PowerPoint, right? So, and we all want to be like Spurgeon. So, um, and I had two separate topics this morning. The second topic was one that has been uh, on my mind for quite some time. Uh, the title of it. Uh, as you've seen, is full victory and nothing else. Um, in the Christian life, you know, we all have ups and downs and periods where we're uh, joyous and periods where we're less than joyous and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, I don't mean that, you know, it's Pollyannish and, and we're always on a high, but I think that we err as Christians when we cede too much to the enemy. Um, I think I think changing our mindset a bit is where uh, we really need to be. In in those crazy connections, you know, the way the, the Lord does things, I just got an Eric Edwards CD, and it's like what I'm talking about, Dark Days, Bright Future. I, I seriously can't wait to listen to this. Um, finish Well safe. I mean, that that's really what I want to communicate to you this morning is that we have, oh wow, <laughs> um, we have setbacks in our lives even as Christians, but we are different from the rest of the world because we are people that have hope. And so, um, again, it's not that I think, you know, we're we're already in heaven, but I do think that sometimes if we tweak our thinking just a little bit, um, if we change our perspective, uh, it, it'll have a really uh, positive outcome. I I thought of this because I was I love history, and so I was reading some history recently, and remember, well, some of you. Let me see, how many of you would remember this? <laughs> it was 75 years ago, so not too many. Um, but the uh, World War II, the invasion of France, uh, that was the order of the day from General Eisenhower to the Allied forces. And um, because I can't use PowerPoint, I can't show you that iconic photograph of Ike with, uh, with the soldiers, but uh, Google it. And it's, I know most of you have probably seen it. But that photo really kind of captures the essence of, of what I think about uh, this message and, and the way I think we should maybe think about things. Um, you know, his view was there is no other option except going forward and winning. Um, if the Allied invasion of France, of Europe, had failed that day, then we might have lost the war. 
Um, Europe would have continued in the grip of Hitler and the Nazis, and all sorts of bad things would have come from that. At some point, the Germans were going to get uh, more sophisticated rocket technology and, and presumably nuclear power and things like that. So it was uh, everything was riding on this. And, and so Ike met with a group of paratroopers in the 101st Airborne, and they were already in combat gear. And he was, he was not yet, he had not yet made the final decision, but they, <clears throat> they knew they had to go because of the weather situation. They were waiting for low tide and, and uh, a moon. And so there's a lot of tension and pressure. So he went down to the area where they were going to disembark and uh, they were going to cross English Channel. And that's what he told them. He said, look, the, the world is watching you. And we are, uh, we are embarking on this great uh, a day uh, to free Europe from tyranny. And he said, uh, we expect full victory and nothing else. There was, there was no other option. And I really do think that Christians should have that mindset more than, than we do. And I'm very aware, like you are, of where we are today. I mean, you all know as well as I do how crazy things are in this country. Who ever thought we would be where we are? I don't think I did. Um, and I'm, I'm of a certain age where I remember a lot of the old school stuff in church and the way church used to be. And, you know, 40 years ago, it, uh, it was just kind of a different look. There were problems, but, you know, infanticide wasn't one of them. Uh, socialism wasn't one of them. And the list goes on and on and on. And so sometimes, though, I think we get uh, too bogged down in that. And so today... I want to say to you that I am concerned, but I'm concerned that we're so concerned. You know, uh, we of all people have the blessed hope to look forward to, and I think that if we tweak our thinking, um, that it puts us in a better place because we know, as they say, the outcome is already uh, established. We know what is going to happen in general terms, and we're not floundering about uh, with the possibility that we'll lose. You know, in, in 1944, they didn't know. They did not know if we were going to win the war or not, and that would be a pretty scary place to be in. So we're in momentous times as well, but we do know what the outcome is. Politics is crazy. Uh, the culture wars are crazy. And I noticed that even strong Christians, um, there's just kind of a, sense, a heaviness in the air. There's kind of a sense of weariness. And, in, in, uh, you know, people will say, I, I just wish we could go home and I'm getting tired of all this and, and that sort of thing. And I, I totally get that. I do. I, I mean, I think the same things, but... Uh, I started having my mind changed about this kind of stuff exactly 20 years ago. And I was in, uh, I was in Washington, 
And I was talking to a, an Israeli friend of mine, a guy who was uh, in in a previous uh, his previous career. He was chief of staff for Ben Gurion and later for Rabin when they were prime minister. And but this guy had a really uh, as it is when you when you have Jewish friends, Israeli friends, you never know what is around the bend in conversation. And I and I learned that Ellie was a little more along my line of thinking than I might have thought because just as right now Netanyahu was in political trouble and this was during his first term as premier in Israel and he was kind of a a younger inexperienced politician at the time so he'd been prime minister for three years but in their system it's a little different than ours um, and, and you're more politically vulnerable if you can't cobble together these coalitions to, to keep you in power. So his right-wing coalition was fragmenting. And uh, I remember very clearly, I was just worried and stressed about this for weeks, you know? I was worried about an outcome of an election in another country. And I was just letting letting this just seep into my day and... You know, somehow, if he lost, then I, what, what's going to happen? We, you know, is, is the world going to be destabilized? Is something going to change? So I was really concerned about this. So I was talking to this, uh, this friend, and I was, I was telling him these things. And we had talked about politics, and I was talking about the threat from Ehud Barak uh, that he posed to Bibi. Uh, Barack, you know, the Labor Party at the time, and Bibi with Likud, and it was just like, Ellie, what what's going to happen if I mean, do you think Netanyahu will lose and this kind of thing? So he listened to me for a long time. You know, wise older people always do that, and they have this serene look on their face, and then they'll tell you something profound. And I said, What do you think is going to happen with the upcoming elections? And he said, Jim, look doesn't matter what happens with the elections. He said it really doesn't matter if Bibi loses, Barack comes to power. He said, do you know what matters? And I said, no, what? He said, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And that's, that's it. That's what we should focus on. We don't focus on exclusively the evil in the world and the gains that evil seems to be making and the terrible things that are happening in this country and that country, they're, they're important, but they shouldn't define who we are and what we think about and how we spend our time. So the Messiah is coming. It's full victory and nothing else. Um, so today, you know, those of us who love Israel always pray for her Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But, but you know, you can tend to, even the most pro-Israel person, can tend to get a little gloomy about where things are. In fact, in the last few years, I've almost been surprised, almost caught off guard at uh, the depression in the pro-Israel community, both Christian and, and otherwise. I mean, I, I occasionally hear people who are believers I hear Israelis 
talk about the possibility that Israel will cease to exist. Really? There's only one reason you don't have to worry about that. Because scripture says otherwise. It really does. And it's clear as a bell. It's not obscure. Nothing like that. It's very clear. Very, very clearly spelled out in scripture. What God intends to do. Um, you know, is Iran going to nuke Israel off the map? Uh, so there's magazine cover stories about this. Will Israel survive? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, Israel will survive. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about geopolitics. I don't have to worry about where Iran's nuclear facilities are located and hidden. I don't have to worry about the European Union. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff because the Bible tells me that God intends to preserve those people forever. He said he would. Now, by extension, if he promised something on that scale to an entire people, the promises that we read to us as individuals are also valid and true. Every time. It's not like he's going to miss one of the promises. So whatever is besieging you, whatever is bothering you, it will be okay. A couple of years ago, and by the way, this will be probably the only time there's ever a reference to a Rolling Stones song from this pulpit. Dwight hopes, I'm sure. Or maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But there, there is uh, one song... And the lyrics to me are so perfectly describing Israel's uh, current situation. Now, you, you know that the song is about something else that we won't go into. But there, there are a couple of lines from it that just speak to me about Israel's situation with regard to her enemies. Because her enemies are always, every day, 24-7, promising to wipe them off the map. Uh, but we, we also have another comfort is history, and we know that, that since the time of Abraham, they've been threatening to wipe out the Jews. You know, uh, Haman was going to do it on his gallows. Uh, he and his sons hanged from the gallows that they built for the Jews, execution. Hitler was going to do it. You know, he was going to kill all of Europe's Jewry, and then when he dominated the world, he's going to kill every Jew in the world. And then he blew his brains out. So, this song, it's called Dead Flowers, and it says, send me dead flowers every morning. Send me dead flowers by the U.S. mail. Send me dead flowers to my wedding, and I won't forget to put roses on your grave. <laughs> I just think that's a perfect description of where Israel is. And so um, we don't have to worry about the things that we worry about. Um, 2 Peter 1, 9, uh, 1, 19. It says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have the promise of predictive prophecy in the Bible. 
that God is always in control. He knows where his people are. He knows where nations are. He knows how to preserve them, how to build them up. He knows when they go away. And he knows everything about you. So if we have proof from history and scripture that God always keeps his promises, why are we burdened with worry? We should not be. 2 Peter 3, 1-7 is a, is a passage that I have been interested in for some time because, again, if you look at Scripture and then you look at where we are, you realize that there are times when God is talking about the time in which we live, right? So 2 Peter chapter 3, 1-7 I'm going to start in verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, willingly ignorant, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now that is an extremely fascinating passage because it's predicting that the day will come when men will deny both origins and the conclusion of history. So what is the denial of origins? It's the philosophy of naturalism. It's Darwinian philosophy. It's uniformitarianism, which means that geologically everything is basically the same as it's always been. There have been a few changes here and there, but nothing you know, globally that was cataclysmic. Of course, that's completely false. Scripture tells us the opposite. We know that there was a time when there was a global flood. The, the topography of the earth then was completely obliterated. It was all churned up. A new world emerged. But people deny that ever happened. Based on what? We always think that it's based on hard science and data that they've accumulated, but you know where it comes from? It comes out of their head and it comes out of their hearts. They willingly deny scripture because they want to. They don't like the idea of a judging God. Now, the other part of this is equally fascinating, maybe even more so, because it says there shall come in the last days scoffers who will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. He's saying that there will be people who will come who will deny that Jesus will ever return. Well, what do we have today? Now, here's the amazing part about it. I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm talking about the church. The church largely does not believe in the doctrine of the second coming. If they do, they're pushing it off, you know, what, 500,000 years, maybe someday. 
But it's not the blessed hope for them. It's not something that they're eagerly anticipating every day, as we should be. My point in that is, if you see Scripture confirming something that you're living through, well, God is in control, isn't he? So should we then focus on the negative parts of that, that that evolutionary thought has mushroomed, or that, wow, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Maybe they're right. Maybe he's not going to. Do we have to think those thoughts? Of course not. Because we have the same opportunity unbelievers do. It's what you believe up here and in your heart. It's what you choose to believe. So, Part of full victory and nothing else is recognizing the times in which we live and the fact that God told us it would be this way. Wow. Well, then I don't have to wonder what's going to happen if culture seems to be spiraling out of control. I don't have to sit and watch Fox News 24 hours a day. As a matter of fact, turn it off you'll feel better you'll be healthier mentally physically spiritually psychologically emotionally right and of course it goes without saying don't ever turn cnn on (laughs) right but sometimes we get too consumed with the bad news of the age we ought not do this because the lord has always been in control. He's in control now. And he's going to be in control forever. Right? Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We see the parallel to this in Isaiah 65, 17 17 through 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of of crying. Is that not a glorious thing to think about and to meditate on and take to heart? I have to tell you, I read that and I sit and meditate on scripture like that. I don't care what the congresswoman from the Bronx is doing. I don't. don't want to see her anymore, but I don't. I don't care about her proclamations that the world's going to end in 12 years because of climate change. 
It's not what the Bible says. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. Read scripture. Pray to the Lord. Get into the word. Let it permeate everything you do. And then it becomes alive to you and it becomes reality. You know, this stuff is not a greeting card sentiment. It's reality. It's life application stuff. I need to read things like this uh, because, like you, I live in the world. I heard a story this week. Uh, I don't know her, but... uh, a teenage girl was raped and uh, she's not sure she wants to live anymore. I look forward to the day when things like that don't exist anymore. When the former things are passed away. I pray for her that the Lord will come to her and heal her in the way that only he can. Um, I was thinking of my father recently. When I was 14, my father was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. And within four months, the smartest man I ever knew was just gone. Mentally, he was gone. It just took him away. Couldn't talk to him anymore. Had to listen to his madness. Couldn't watch ball games anymore. Couldn't go fishing. But, I believe that Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 are literally true. I believe they're yet future, but they're true. And I know where my father is today. And one day, sooner rather than later, I will see him in his healed body, in his sound mind. Also, Uh, You know, some of you know that I had uh, an injury a while back, and uh, it was uh, fairly complicated. And and one of the outcomes is I no longer look like Steve McQueen. See? (laughs) That's one of my favorite dumb jokes. Had to have some reconstructive surgery, and the last thing I told the, the surgeon, I, they were literally putting me under. He was standing at the, beside the bed, and I said, "Look, I've made up my mind. I I don't want money to be an object. Just give me the full treatment. I don't want the 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 low budget Buddy Hackett face. Just give me the Steve McQueen face. I don't care what it costs." And he just kind of patted my arm and he says, we'll do what we can. <laughs> but someday, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, I'll look like Steve McQueen again, right? No, I kid, but there, there is a truth behind all that. 
God is going to restore everything to its original perfect creation. And you won't hear any more stories of family members getting cancer or somebody dying suddenly of a heart attack or mental illness doing unspeakable things to a family. You won't hear any of that anymore. And that is in our future because God promised it. That's all I need to know. I made a choice to believe the Bible is true. All of it. First sentence to the last. And I challenge the critics to give me any evidence to the contrary because they can't. They are willfully ignorant. Another uh, great connection this week, as I was I was finishing this, the mayor put a uh, uh, a quote on Facebook from A. W. Tozer. And by the way, where are the Tozers today? Huh? They're gone. You know why? Because the guys that are operating today in evangelicalism, the celebrity guys. They're, they're building their brands. They're making a lot of money, and they're not teaching the Bible. So this kind of wisdom is already in the rearview mirror because they're not telling people about the blessed hope. They're telling people how secular psychology can improve your life for an hour or two some afternoon. This was the quote from Tozer, and I just love this. We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the world to come. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? We must meet the uncertainties of this world with the certainty of the world to come. Yes, exactly. Now let me go back for a minute to talk about more evidence that Scripture is true because when we read certain things and know the era in which this is happening, uh, it's actually pretty cool, you know? I mean, we can go back in history and, uh, you know, we can read something in the Bible that took place in the 8th century B.C. and it happened. God predicted it would happen, and then some years later it happened. That's done over and over and over, right? So 2 Timothy, what I started to read earlier, 2 Timothy 4, 3. Man, you know what? I keep doing this. I must have dyslexia today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the famous, the famous passage in which Paul gives a laundry list of what society will be like in the last days. And I would suggest to you that yes, while these types of people have always existed, I have never seen a period of time in which more of these seem like the norm today. So Paul is writing to Timothy, he said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This perfectly describes our culture today. But I would go further than that and suggest to you that it describes much of evangelicalism in America. This is exactly where much of it is. Now, we read these things and we have to make a choice. Am I going to focus on the fact that this is happening? And, you know, now I can start thinking about society is chaotic and it's spinning out of control and bad things are going to happen. And what am I going to do if I can't get food from the grocery store? Or what am I going to do if they put me in an in in internment camp? Or, you know, all the stuff that people talk about. Should I stockpile food? Should I, you know, what, what do I do? What if we just focus on the fact that God's word is always so precise, right? We're, we're living in this time. Do you think Paul and the apostles didn't thirst to see this moment? Why? Only one reason. They knew they would then be close to the final redemption. The ushering in of righteousness in the world. We should count it a privilege to live in this time. Not a hindrance, not something to scare us. If, you, if you're scared of that, I would humbly suggest that you're thinking about it the wrong way. It simply means that God's prophetic word is true. Um, we live in a time in America, in the American church, when Andy Stanley tells us that we should unhitch from the Old Testament. <laughs> really. He's also said that the church created the Bible. He's said that the basis of our faith is not the Bible. And then he follows up by saying something that, that sounds kind of profound, but he says it's based on Jesus. Well, okay, how do we know about Jesus? If, if Scripture, if the Bible is not very important and we don't need to pay attention to it, then how can we know who God is? See, what he's saying is garbage. It's spiritual lunacy. But it sounds deep, and it's Andy Stanley, so nobody's going to question him. A lot of people should question him. Have you noticed, when he says something like that, how many evangelical, well-known pastors and ministry leaders around the country do you hear offer a rebuttal? Zero. We live in the time of apostasy in the church. And I've, t I've said this before, I mean, I grew up, you know, we knew it was coming, but, you know, we all knew they were talking about the Catholics and the New Agers, right? In 1975, that's what I thought. I had no idea the evangelical church would be driving the train. But it is. But again, 
How do we think about this? I can't change any of what I just said. I don't have the ability to do that. I have the ability to fellowship with friends and family and and fellow believers like we're doing now. But I'm not going to stop Andy Stanley from saying what he says. He knows what he's doing, by the way, I believe. Look at the polling data from uh, groups like Lifeway, which is the, uh, the arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, a cash cow for them, and Barna Research, who are telling us that young people are leaving the church in droves. That's depressing. It's scary. It's also reality. They are. The only, the only thing I differ from them in is why they're leaving. These guys will come up with any reason other than the fact that the Bible is not being preached and taught in the churches. There's not real Bible study going on in the larger evangelical world. There's a lot of good individual churches and pastors. You're in one. Individuals study the Bible. But the American evangelical church in general is not doing that. They're buying Jesus Calling journals. Uh, They're listening to Jen Hatmaker. They're listening to Andy Stanley. They're listening to Rick Warren. They're not studying Scripture. That's why these things are happening. But again, should we look at this and say, oh, this is so depressing, I can't talk about this anymore. I know people, that they... You know, you're just having a conversation about this. I, say, I, I please, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hear this anymore. Too many people are turning, tuning out. You know, they're just checking out. They don't want to face reality. I don't see it that way. I see it as, look, I don't like what's happening, but it's more confirmation that predicted prophecy in the Bible is true. If the predicted apostasy was coming, then it was going to come somewhere at some time. And I, I would argue, and it, it's arguable, it's debatable, but I would argue that we're living in that time. Uh, Barna, Lifeway, all those guys, they, they don't, well, I don't, they're contributing to the problem by the garbage that they produce, the literature, the Bible studies, all that junk those are, those are the ideas of men. You don't need that stuff. You need a Bible. You need a pen and paper. You need maybe a mentor to, to help you in your study. That's it. You don't need the rest of that stuff. When people get too involved in these things, bad things happen. I've told this story before. Uh... I met a lady from India a few years ago, very pro-Israel. We were at a pro-Israel conference, and so I was just fascinated by this woman. She wasn't a speaker or anything, so I was just following her around. I didn't care about you know, the speaker so much. I wanted to know, so I asked her, why are you so passionate about Israel? Why, are you, why do you have the biblical view? And she said, well, you know, Jim, uh, I just, I've read the Bible. And that's literally how she came to a pro-Israel view, living on some mountain in India. She just read the Bible. 
And then she said something kind of funny, kind of sad, but very true. She said, you know, in my country, we don't have the disadvantage you have of all the Christian literature. We don't have your curriculum. She's very correct. The, uh, the last thing that I'll mention in terms of uh, more signals that we're living in the last of the last days, and I believe we are. Every time somebody asks me, you know, they'll say, what is the reason, or what is a couple of reasons why you think we're living in the last days? The apostasy is a big issue, but number one is always going to be Israel. And specifically, it's the intensifying pressure on Israel today from all corners. Politically, militarily, religiously, the media's against them, everything. Why? Why would the world be obsessed with this tiny little country in the Middle East? There's only one reason. It's like Dave Hunt said one time. Because God said so. That's it. So if you see that happening, rather than you know, just become overwhelmed by, by bad news, tweak your thinking a little bit and, and just say, look, hey, God's in control and I'm privileged to live in that moment in time when the Jews have come back. You can also never get a good answer out of a critic who doesn't like that. You know, they call, call Israel an accident of history or a coincidence or something like that. That was actually in a, I think that was in a Zondervan study Bible one time. That was one of the reasons for Ezekiel 37, the, the, the reunification of Israel and, and bringing the exiles back. It was uh, one of the reasons, is it was just kind of, some people just think it's coincidence. They do? Well, maybe they do, but they're still wrong. I don't care about whether they think it's a coincidence or not. I've seen it with my own eyes. Do you know what joy that brings to me? I live with joy and peace and contentment because Scripture is all true. God chose a people. He has dealt with them in history. He made certain promises to them of what their ending would be, which is not really an end. And he's done all of the things he said he would do. If you're depressed and you just, you just don't know what you're going to do, just think for five minutes about the story of modern Israel. You think God can't handle your problems? He kept an entire people intact for 1,900 years that had been sent around the world in exile. They come back from 190 countries to their ancestral land. They establish the state and they all speak Hebrew. You think God can't solve your circumstances that are weighing you down? You better change your thinking. So finally... Do I like the changing culture? No, I hate it. Hate it. I grew up, I had an Opie Taylor upbringing. I had an idyllic childhood. Slingshot in my back pocket. 
bubble gum. Parents that were believers, grandparents that were believers, solid church, friends, normalcy in the culture. That's all gone. But it doesn't bother me a bit because I know where I'm going. Do I hate things like abortion? Absolutely, I do. Infanticide? Everybody, you know, everybody's on this now. Infanticide, I mean, come on, that's, a, that's beyond the pale. That's, that's, that's the end of the Greek and Roman Empire, right? You know what happened to them. They're gone. You get to that point, you're gone. But where have we been for 45 years on other abortions? I've hated it all along. I don't like that it's that way. But I live with contentment and peace in my heart and joy every day. God has always taken care of me. He's kept every promise he's made to me. Things that have no other explanation except a supernatural one. So what am I worried about? I'm not. We, as believers in this culture, because this is, this is a missionary environment, full on, use predictive prophecy as an evangelism tool. We of all people should be serene, joyful, confident, and passionate about evangelism because our Lord reigns forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment, this ability that we have to come together in freedom and study your scriptures and fellowship together and worship you in scripture and song. Help us to have a renewed sense of purpose as we leave here today and to change our thinking so that we go about our days in joy and contentment and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. And they established the state and they all speak Hebrew. You think God can't solve your circumstances that are weighing you down? You better change your thinking. So finally, do I like the changing culture? No, I hate it. I hate it. I grew up, I had an Opie Taylor upbringing. I had an idyllic childhood. Slingshot in my back pocket. Bubble gum. Parents that were believers, grandparents that were believers, solid church, friends, normalcy in the culture. That's all gone. But it doesn't bother me a bit. Because I know where I'm going. Do I hate things like abortion? Absolutely I do. Infanticide? Everybody, you know, everybody's on this now. Infanticide, I mean, come on, that's, a, that's beyond the pale. That's, that's, that's the end of the Greek and Roman Empire, right? You know what happened to them. They're gone. You get to that point, you're gone. But where have we been for 45 years on other abortions? I've hated it all along. I don't like that it's that way. But I live with contentment and peace in my heart and joy every day. God has always taken care of me. He's kept every 
promise he's made to me. Things that have no other explanation except a supernatural one. So what am I worried about? I'm not. We, as believers in this culture, because this is, this is a missionary environment, full on, use predictive prophecy as an evangelism tool. We of all people should be serene, joyful, confident, and passionate about evangelism because our Lord reigns forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment, this ability that we have to come together in freedom and study your scriptures and fellowship together and worship you in scripture and song. Help us to have a renewed sense of purpose as we leave here today and to change our thinking so that we go about our days in joy and contentment and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.